for September 19th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 742. Girl boss, I want to be a girl boss. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we're hanging around just talking, just just shooting the breeze. <laughs> About whatever is on our whatever is on our minds in the popular culture, whether it's the uh, the latest uh, you know movie, the latest album, TV show, yeah. uh, the latest uh, or the latest trailer that's you know that's that's dropped on on YouTube. Uh, what do you think? What do you yeah. think that means? Shooting the breeze. Oh yeah, I mean, I always thought it was like uh, a uh, just like making the phrase "shooting the s" shooting the poop a little tamer. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I, I but guess even I, I don't know what that means actually. I, I guess I could see a couple ways. Either shooting the breeze is it's impossible, right? Because the breeze cannot be shot. So it's something that you do knowing that it's a futile gesture, right? Or, right. or something that has no point, like firing a gun into the air, right? Sure. Okay. Or else it's sort of like the fury at which you're you're doing nothing and the fury at which the words are coming out of your mouth is almost like the wind is being fired out of you like a like a tommy gun like a like a like a gatling in in world war one and so it's like you're you're shooting the breezes to like aggressively talk uh-huh you know almost like there it's it's like talking as an act of violence yeah hundred percent um, I mean, I does shooting have something to do with like? Do you like shoot a ski run or like shoot a like a luge? <laughs> something, something like that. Doesn't that like uh, like I'm just like I'm floating on the breeze, like I'm a leaf in the wind, you know? <laughs> I'm just uh, going around. I remember we always in like eighth grade when we read Catcher in the Rye, we were so. Um, uh, he says he says the word crap in that I think and I I think we uh, I think we can say that I think the dignity of this August production will not suffer if I say the word uh, crap. But he uh, Holden Caulfield talks about like and then we just started shooting the old slinging the old crap around and man we were really slinging the crap around like like monkeys in a zoo you know making a mess of their cage or something yeah, something like he, that. And when he says that, is he saying it in a? guilty way a self-deprecating way i don't think so right he no he's talking he, about how it's fun like either how he's fun or else how he's kind of taking the piss out of authority figures and just kind of like talking a line just to uh, a line of crap just to uh to, just to like you know trigger the libs you know or just to uh you know mess with authority figures you know yeah anyway so let's do that let's yeah let's shoot the old let's uh we're shoot the old breeze hey i'm matt rather that's matt Blinky. it's uh it's Mattcast <laughs> this uh this episode our uh good friend pete fenzel is on uh is on a family leave still is we have on a very uh, generous family leave policy he you know what i and i've actually increased his salary by a factor of 100 he is getting wow. paid 100 times what he was getting paid before i don't recall getting that deal no that is how that is how uh yeah when when uh when you were off i only paid 50 times what uh what we were uh what we were paying and i'm sorry i'm i can well, thanks i can for being honest I make guess. uh make restitution but um yeah, he's and and uh, Mark Lee has been turned into a live action version of himself. <laughs> is, is what uh is what has happened. Yeah, we want to talk about live action things because a certain trailer dropped and the internet uh collectively lost its crap. I think it's 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 yeah, uh the, it's fair to the, say. The crap was not shot. It was <laughs> just it disappeared completely. Into, into the fathoms below, the bottomless <laughs> fathoms below. But first, um First, before that, I want to uh, uh, I want to make you uh, aware of something. You know that there are Matt. Are you aware that there are members of Overthinking It? I've I've heard of these people. I've never in- encountered one on like on the street. Like nobody ever recognizes me. I actually have encountered encountered them on right, on the street uh, because uh, I actually one of our members. I live pretty close to and like the you know the like the shipping address what remember when we used to send out stuff like that i i was aware of that and so it's like swag, even yeah. though this might this might have been like overstepping somewhat i emailed and was like hey i you know 
I see we live in the same neighborhood. Would you like to grab coffee sometime? And we did, and it was delightful. It was a uh, it was a really really nice uh, really nice thing. And made a friend that day, which I uh, which I was nice. Also, uh, the time when we went to um, when I went to London and just kind of declared an overthinking it meetup, and uh, some overthinkers came, including. Um, uh, oh, uh, God, uh, Tom B, who uh, actually lived in Los Angeles, but was on vacation at the same time I was in London, which was, uh, you know, quite a coincidence. Tim Swan, who was, you know, uh, big in the, in the comments section back in the days of the blog. Uh, and I oh, think yeah. who's been a, uh, a guest on the podcast back in, you know, in, in days of yore. Yeah. Uh, and some of our early over, th- uh, early Eurovision coverage, you know, Tim Swan being a, a card carrying, uh, I guess passport carrying, uh, UK citizen. Well, yeah, but though, uh, was able to vote on our behalf. Right? They're no longer no longer a European. You know that's uh, oh, right. But since, still, still. But this a Euro, was before Eurovision, this Eurovisionary. The great, uh, the great, the great schism. And uh, uh, Richard C. in London came to that as well. And uh, Richard C. came to the uh, the Eurovision party that we that we had in New York. Anyway, I have met our members. They are the heroes um, who support overthinking it with a cash gift. I would say a donation, but we're not a charity, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, um, you know, I don't know, arrogates to ourselves the prerogatives of being a charity. So it's a, it's a contribution. What mm-hmm. it does is help us keep the lights on, uh, around here. And though when we started it, when we, when we were, you know, in the heady days of 2006, when we had ideas, we had, uh, grand designs on being professional bloggers. Um, but exactly. you know, that was like a viable career path. Was it even then though? I feel like 2010 is when it, when it seemed like it was a viable career path. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad that not just our, um, uh, media enterprise ended up being uh, a labor of love more than a going concern. Um, you know, but, uh, the entire media industry <laughs> ended up being a labor of love. Uh, but back, back, uh, back then, um, you know, we, uh, we, uh, gave away stuff, swag even. Um, you know, many people still have their overthinking at charter member etched pint glasses. Yeah, and, I uh, certainly do. Now, now we, uh, put out some extra digital content every now and again when, when we are able to, when we're not, when we're not all scattered to the, to the winds, uh, because we've shot the breeze and, and, uh, been blown away on it. But, you know, this is not, uh, but this is a really a, an immense thing that I'm happy to offer because in the members area, uh, right now we have, um, and by the time this, this, uh, we're pre-taping this. So by the time this goes up, I will have posted our, uh, Pete cast. That is a solo, uh, podcast hosted by Pete, um, auto, auto podcast, except he brought with him Jordan Stokes and they talked about Thor love and thunder and it's, it's released on uh, Disney plus now. And so we are, um, we are putting out our podcast on Thor Love and Thunder in the members area. So if you are a member, you can find it there. Uh, and I'm going to post links in the disc in the members uh, area of the discord. If you are yeah. not a member, overthinking it.com slash join for the low, low price of five bucks a month. That's or 50 bucks a year, which is less than a dollar a podcast. If you think yeah. about it, you know, are we entertaining you a dollar's worth right now? If we're not entertaining you a dollar's worth, unsubscribe and do something else with your one short precious life. <laughs> But, uh, you know, anyway, I have a fun piece of trivia about the Thor Love and Thunder uh, podcast. I, wa- I want to know because you edited it. This, I did. Because, Matt, is this podcast 45 minutes? Uh, so here's the deal there, <laughs> is it 90 was, minutes? Is a, it 120 a, a minutes? Rumor, a hot rumor about the movie Thor Love and Thunder that uh, the director was contractually obligated to deliver a final cut that was under two hours. And indeed, the uh, Thor Love and Thunder is an hour and 59 minutes. Uh, you did not require Pete to, to, to get in under that bar. Damn it. Damn it. I knew I should have. I should have put that in the contract. So this this peak has, which is very entertaining and has a lot of great insights and and made me want to splice myself into. I did actually splice myself into the podcast. I saw that Matt, I when I this. I loaded it up. The waveform changes shape at that particular yeah. moment. I and but, I was like, oh, what's going on there? Do I need to normalize this? And then it was like, no, it's a Blinky that came in and is talking. Yeah, but there there was a lot else. It, anyway, and it, it is indeed longer than the movie itself. 
Uh, and there's a lot to say because honestly, this was, this was a movie that I think maybe maybe controversial is a good word to use for it. Polar, um, polarizing that, for sure. Yeah, that a lot of people, especially Thor Ragnarok, was was quite beloved, right? That was one of those movies that everyone seemed to love, and this was you know supposed to be a, a you know a, a reunion of like the writer director and the cast and sort of like more of the same. So what could go wrong? And a lot of the same people who loved Thor Ragnarok really seem to sour on the humor and the tone. And it's very interesting to dissect, like, why did this movie, you know, strike people, strike the wrong note for people when it was so similar in many ways to a movie that those same people seem to adore? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that that it is funny. And they uh, they have ample space, ample time and space to uh, to yes. discuss it in this. So uh, that 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 is like super bonus content. That's, you know, if you've if you've been uh, starved for your 15 minute question of the week, well, this is like 10 of them, <laughs> in, you know, uh, in the form. I I'm not it's more like an audio book. It's more like an audio monograph uh, than it is like that. That's it. That's in the uh, that's in the members area. You know, we we still. Ha- yeah, we still have that. You can join at overthinkingit.com slash join. And um, you know, we still have a store, Matt. Someone bought recently bought a print of the uh the Batman uh origin um you know superhero ingredients uh print. Color- I did not know we sold prints. We do. We sell a we sell prints at overthinkingit.com slash store. And I uh I had to to today, this very day, I did something with the the fulfillment. Um uh, of that so that's do you we know. still do we still sell the suns out puns out shirt yes i believe because we have. i've been i've been wearing that same shirt for like 10 years and i will gladly buy myself a new one you designed the suns out puns I, out shirt that might be true i also think you came up with the phrase was it you was it fence i don't know it's all it's all a whole it feels like a shiliism but I'll gladly take credit for it. Anyway, I'm go to, go to our store. Yeah, so there we are. We actually did two versions of that, and the latest one has a logo designed by you. It's really it's uh, it's really excellent. Overthinkingit.com slash store. Okay, that's the shameless commercialism part of the thing. So apparently, Black Ariel broke the internet. Thoughts? <laughs> here's here's the thing that okay. So I have a, a take on this that okay. The, there well, was a maybe, trailer. Maybe, yeah, well, maybe right. Maybe we should, ex- in case that you you aren't on Twitter, uh, which honestly, I congratulate you if that's the case. So let's rewind a little bit. So first of all, it's not like Black Area was a surprise. It's not like that the casting was a closely kept secret, right? That she was honestly. Th- this is one of those things I think was pretty heavily delayed by COVID, and I think they mm. announced. They announced this to the point where like she's almost too – well, I mean I, I guess in the cartoon, The Little Mermaid is meant to be like 15, 16. You know, she's the youngest of the sisters. She's hanging out with Flounder who is voiced by an actual child, you know, and it really does seem like she's barely out of her tween years and she's, she's crushing hard as tweens do. Mm. Now – the movie, what I, I don't want to assume that the movie is a carbon copy. And I, I want to get into that because these Disney movies are not, you know, and I think a lot of people have this strange idea that the Disney movies are supposed to be live action shot by shot recreations, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And get very annoyed and perturbed when they're not. When in fact, I don't think they've ever been. Um, you know, like if, you, if the very first of the Disney, I mean, you know, you could go back to like the nineties and Disney, Disney did a, a jungle book, uh, in the mid nineties with, um, I think, uh, Stephen Summers was the director. Sam Neill was like the, you know, old British, I forget, forget who else was in it. But anyway, like the idea of doing a live action version of one of the Disney animated things is not new, but I feel like it really got ramped up. In oh, what was the year that they did Maleficent? Um, hmm. So Maleficent was in uh, 2014, right? The, so bef- I'm, I'm looking at a list on Wikipedia of the live action uh, Disney sort of adaptations. 
to go back before Maleficent, Alice in Wonderland is from 2010. And I suppose you could count that. To go back before that, then you're just dealing with 101 Dalmatians and 102 Dalmatians, both starring Glenn Close. Yeah, which um, I, I was, well, I, even though the first one was written by John Hughes, uh, yeah. I did not like 101 Dalmatians. I thought that, like, there was a, there was a point at which they threw Glenn Close into, like, a truck of manure. And I felt like they really, they really offended against the dignity of Cruella DeVille. You know, I th- I felt like she was a grandiose, wonderful, uh, evil goddess, you know, and though she could be brought low, she shouldn't be, she shouldn't be forced into three stooges esque humor. I remember thinking this at the time. So whatever my, my sensibility for the, you know, my sensibility for the, the, like the evil queen queens was developed in 1996, I suppose. Anyway, I'm sorry, Matt, I've, I've yeah. blown, I've blown you off your topic, like the breeze. No, but okay. But even, so let's, Let's count the 101 Dalmatians from 1996 as like the very first sort of like fledgling, the the John the Baptist of Uh this experiment, right? But even that – was not a completely faithful adaptation. And, and, and honestly, like, you know, my memory of both the animated film and the live action film are a little vague, but it is certainly not a plot point for plot point recreation. One, uh, and one obvious point is that in the 101 Dalmatians cartoon, it is at least heavily implied, if not like, you know, graphically shown that Cruella DeVille meets a violent end in yeah. a head on collision and, and literally is, is just burnt to a crisp in a fiery wreck. In the live action 101 Dalmatians, Cruella doesn't, you know, she just gets, I believe she is sprayed by a skunk, and that is the last we see of her. So it is like an ignominious end where she is like humiliated and and physically um and, and stinkified, right? Which matters to somebody who who considers themselves like a, a glamorous fashionista and um allows her to return in 102 Dalmatians from 2000, which was not written uh by John Hughes. No, um, it was written by literally everyone else. There are four authors on that film. But I, I guess this is just to say that like at no point are these Disney live action uh, recreations completely faithful, right? Uh-huh. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting that you could imagine a um, a grid. Let's imagine a grid for like a, a remake okay. uh, scale. And like a, one you mean axis, like a two by two, a two by two yeah, matrix. Okay, got it. Right. And so like one axis is the faithfulness to the plot, right? About like, does, does this same things happen? Right. Like, you know, is it a scene for scene, beat for beat recreation where like all the characters befall the same fate? Mm -hmm. And the other axis is about style Mm -hmm. and presentation and is about like, are they trying to recreate the art you know? And I'm not specifically talking about these Disney things. You could, you could think about any reboot this way. You could, you could look at the, um, you know, there was a, there was a footloose reboot, right. Of, of the, uh, uh, directed by the written and directed by the guy who did a hustle and flow. Right. Mm, so like mm-hmm. an Audi's, uh, 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 footloose thing. And so that is like, you know, stylistically, it doesn't feel like an eighties movie. It's not trying to be an eighties movie, but plot wise, it's pretty accurate. Well, all right. I don't know how accurate it is, but I imagine it's pretty accurate. Um, and so these Disney movies, I think you can slot them in on that scale. Right. So there, there are certain movies and I'm I'm thinking one that I'm kind of familiar with that I've had to sit through a couple of times with kids is the Beauty and the Beast remake, which is I believe one of the highest grossing. Um, you know, starring um, Hermione. I, I I was literally just gonna say Hermione, and I felt bad that I couldn't remember her actual Emma name. Watson, the actress. I knew it was Emma, and I'm like, it's not Emma Thompson. Although Emma Thompson is also in Beauty and the Beast, it's all the Emmas. <laughs> it's so funny. It is. It's true. It's all the British Emmas. Uh-huh. Um, but Beauty and the Beast is both. Fairly pretty. And the beast uh, is played by Emma Dan Stevens. And, yeah, you know, the beast, beauty and the beast is the reason why he had to be killed off. Sorry. Spoiler alert for Downton Abbey. Right. Is this, but that's the reason he left. I don't know specifically, or just to do, you know, whatever was next and beauty and the beast happened to be what was next. But is, is it accurate to say that like, this was the movie for which, uh, he had to widow the lady Mary. Oh, that's interesting. That as as punishment, as recompense, you mean to say? 
No, as, as I think he wanted to get off the show so he could go do movies. Oh, yeah. And this so is he, the movie he did, right? This, and this is the movie. So, you know, good for you. Yeah, exactly. It was this, yeah, it was a similar thing with, uh, with, um, Lady Sybil. Uh, yeah, what did she do? Yeah, exactly. What did what did there she do? There must have been something. There must have been like one bit, sort of the way that like Taylor Kitsch was going to be the next big thing, and he did. He was in. He was in that uh, John Carter of Mars thing. John Carter of Mars and Battleship. Yeah, and absolutely. Battleship. Yeah, there was one summer where he was the biggest star in Hollywood, and and everything. For, I you still know, have I, not seen I, Battleship. When I took Improv One Hundred Two at Upright Citizens Brigade in Los Angeles, I was uh, in a class with a guy who was like. Um, you know, a real actor because he, you know, did movies and stuff. And it's like, oh, what, you know, what, what have you done? And what, what have you been working on recently? And it's like, well, I, I recently completed John Carter of Mars. <laughs> You know, and that, that was like, and, and that was actually the funniest thing that happened in that class. And it was not in the course of an improv done for this stage. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So like, uh, so, uh, Beauty and the Beast and you watch it. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Yeah. Well, okay. So my, my point is that Beauty and the Beast is both pretty accurate with the plot. And I actually did before this podcast check it because you could sort of, here's, here's the deal. Like as the Disney sort of brain trust starts to rewrite these movies into the present day, you can start to see the, the issues that are problematic that they're going to have to correct. Um, like a good example is in, um, in the Aladdin remake, right? That like the Jasmine, although I feel like she's a, a pretty strong character who's like, you know, very assertive stands up for herself that her ambitions in the animated movie from 1993, 1993 or four, um, is that like, she wants to see the world and she wants to marry for love. Uh huh. And that's so that's she just wa- she wants to be a princess, but she wants to be one on her terms. Yes, she wants to be a princess. So in the new Aladdin, she wants to be Sultan. She wants to be in charge of the kingdom and feels like she could do a better job than her dad or Jafar. And the you know the walls that she's hitting up against is like no 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 girls can't be sultans. And she's like why can't girls be sultans? Like why can't I be a girl boss? Yep. And so that that's and and um. In addition to that, though, I think the one original song they wrote for that is, and this is actually, it's, it's it felt like I'm like weird to realize it, but she doesn't have any songs besides the duet, A Whole New World in Aladdin, right? Oh, she doesn't have a solo number. Yeah, she's not and really, so, she's not really a dynamic character, right? Like Aladdin's right. the one who's sort of striving and so, and, and meets obstacles and stuff like that. But then, then I love the song that they added for her in the, the remake with Will Smith, which was like, Girl boss, I want to be a girl boss. <laughs> I want to boss everybody around but be a girl. So, I mean, I think it's I think it's safe to say that every Disney film since at least I'm going to say Princess and the Frog, maybe even before that, has really wrestled with the idea of princess dumb of of what it means to be a princess. Because on the one hand, the Disney brand is is tied very closely to the idea of being uh, princesses, right? And Disney princesses themselves are like a, a sub-brand that is incredibly valuable, right? Disney is not going to st- walk away from the idea that like of Disney princesses. At the same time, you can see them really uncomfortable with the older movies, Right. Because Mm. some of this and honestly, one of the movies that feels the most regressive is The Little Mermaid. Right. Which is about a very young girl whose sole ambition in life is to marry the hot guy, which she does by giving up her voice and just like acting as cute as possible. And then the end of the movie, which is wild. And and I mean, honestly, so the the point that like I'm I'm looping around to, you know, is is that like. The idea that the Little Mermaid, the new Little Mermaid, was ever going to be a Carmen copy of the old Little Mermaid is ridiculous because the old Little Mermaid is deeply problematic. And part of the reason why they are remaking these, um, I mean, yeah, like a lot of the reason is just that like there's there's gold in them hills, right? Like they're they're going to make a lot of money. But I think part of it is that like the Dumbo is a great example, right? The 1941 Dumbo is a part of the Disney legacy, right? Everyone kind of can identify Dumbo, even if you don't, uh, you know, like, 
like even if you haven't seen it, you know what Dumbo looks like. Um, you know about the, there's a Dumbo ride at Disney World. Dumbo makes like a cameo in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Like Dumbo is like an iconic Disney thing, and it's also a movie that's like almost like you can't show it to. It's it's really close to just being like pulled entirely from Disney. I think then you can still watch it, but it's like borderline Song of the South where they just have to like flush it down the memory hole forever. Mouse boss. I want to be a mouse boss. <laughs> I want to hold the feather in my drum major outfit. Um, yeah, that, that, I guess, is it just the chorus of, of crows that's bad it's, or is there's it? A, there's a few things. Of, okay. So there's the chorus of crows. There's also like, there's a scene at the beginning where a bunch of men are erecting, um, erecting the, the circus tent, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, I, I believe don't don't quote me on this, but I believe that they're all black and they sing a song. And I think one of the first lyrics is like, we work all day. We work all night. We never learn to read or write, mm-hmm. which honestly, first of all, probably historically accurate, <laughs> but also like a little cringe. And also like, you know, the maybe one of the most memorable scenes of Dumbo is this uh, hallucinogenic sequence where Dumbo gets drunk. Um, sure. He he is accidentally uh, uh, drinks a bunch of champagne and gets drunk and then imagines. It. And the Disney animators really go wild and they have this. Fun- yeah, it's the pink the pink elephant dance. I remember that being. Right. And they play like trumpets out of their trunks. Like I remember that being uh, a lot of fun when I was a kid and right. more relatable than Fantasia for whatever reason. More relatable than the the kind of like you know uh, that that other. Uh, uh, that other like um <laughs> fantasia yeah but then beyond that just the idea of animals and circuses and so here's the thing like you or me might be like well it's a period piece and so what do you expect but if you watch the new dumbo film so the you know just just uh, examples um the movie ends not where in the, so in the animated film, Dumbo is like the star attraction in the circus. He's got his own luxury car on the train, uh, you know, and he, he's a big shot. He's a Hollywood celebrity. Um, in the new movie, in the the 2019 Dumbo directed by Tim Burton, Dumbo and his mother are returned to the jungle mm-hmm. and the circus with oh, the, the ringmaster, Danny DeVito, um, announces that that they don't have any wild animals anymore this it's a cruelty free circus oh where right it's just exactly acrobats. woke boss i want to be a woke boss right and 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 they and they honestly like you know there's a little bit of a wink to the whole champagne thing where there's like a scene where like uh you know somebody brings out some champagne and says like let's celebrate Danny devito's like no booze around the elephant like no booze around the baby elephant what are you what are you thinking about um and so, I mean, that, that's so I feel like in ways big and small and some movies don't really need a whole lot. Like the Lion King actually does have a little bit. They, they added a little bit girl boss. Like, let's put it this way. When you have Beyonce doing the voice of the, the female lion, um, you're going to you're going to inject it with some girl bossiness, um, whether whether you mean to or not. But like the Lion King doesn't have to be it, it doesn't need the radical facelift that Dumbo does. But I feel like part of the project of these movies is like, you know, once again, you look at beauty and the beast and in the, the original beauty and the beast, she is, she's got her head in the clouds, right. And that she's always reading stories, largely romantic stories, you know, uh, um, novels, you know, that kind of thing. And in the, you know, what the Emma Watson, I was going to say Emma Thompson again, but this time I remembered she is, she's teaching other girls to read and she's making her own inventions. She's not just like, you know, it's not just her dad is the inventor that like she has, uh, yeah, right. She's the, she's the president of her local chapter of girl develop it. Right. And she's like, she's teaching kids, she's teaching kids to code and, and, and everything like that. Yeah. So, so they're, they're very carefully trying to figure out a way. So, so honestly, so um, there's, okay. So what, what this tells me, there's, there's a split, right? There's a, a kind of a weird, um, split in the way that Disney wants to, to remake things to kind of stay on, I don't know, the right side of history or the right side of like, of public opinion right now, which is that. To a certain extent, we're going to soft pedal the like the social ills, like 
elephant, baby elephant getting drunk, you know, whereas like that's something that happens like kids get either get into the liquor cabinet or like if you're a little older than Dumbo is supposed to be, you're a teenager, right? Like there's this sense that everyone has to be protected uh, or that like we can't depict certain things. We can't depict certain disturbing things because it's like it's irresponsible. And yet. There's also a thing where we have to depict certain disturbing things because it would be irresponsible not to. And those things are like social ills, like sexism, you know, like kind of structural impediments to, to women's self-actualization. Right. And so it's just a, it's a, like the, the, I don't know, the, the perspective has, has moved a little bit, but there still is kind of a weird, uh, there still is kind of a weird split in in what we're depicting like the ills the ills of society you know in a general sense right in a in a kind of abstract way where no no one person is like doing the bad thing it's just like well this is the expectation we all agree on the expectation women cannot girls cannot be sultans you know um but uh but it's not like uh, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to like, I don't know. I'm going to harm you or something like that. Or I, you know, you're going to drink, right? Like, so the, the, the specific menace is, uh, is what is soft pedaled a little more is, is absent from, from a lot of these, these remakes, which is like, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess, I guess like it, it goes with that, that well-known storytelling, uh, well-known storytelling advice, you know, don't be specific, just be general and abstract about everything. <laughs> right. Um, but that, do you see what I'm saying about there being kind of a weird double think in this? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I was almost surprised rewatching Beauty and the Beast, uh, that, uh, Gaston actually dies at the end because so many recent Disney films, and I don't, I don't mean this as a criticism. It's gone out of fashion to have the bad guy, uh, killed or physically defeated. And, and the, the way that you really want these children's films to end is that either the bad guy is convinced that what they're doing is bad Right. And they are they're reformed or that the people are convinced. I guess I guess what I was sort of expecting is an ending where the villagers sort of shun Gaston. Right. Gaston's Mm. the most popular dude in town. And there's a whole song about how everyone loves Gaston. And that like I sort of expected an ending where like everyone realizes Gaston was wrong and Gaston is bad and that. His ending is not that he falls down a bottomless pit and dies. His ending is that like he loses his status and that status is then is then claimed by like Belle and the Beast, right? Like they, they everyone realizes like they were right and Gaston was wrong. And I I feel like if they you know, like I, I kind of feel like if, if they took another crack at it, if they adapted Beauty and the Beast like now as opposed to five years ago, they might have gone that far. Like Beauty and the Beast is a fairly faithful recreation and they they try not to change the plot points. But I I guarantee you that that with the Little Mermaid, they've got to be a little more active because the Little Mermaid is more problematic than Beauty and the Beast. And the Beauty and the Beast is pretty problematic because it's it's straight up Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I guess. Sure. Um, so the, here's the thing that, that has gotten missed. I haven't seen a lot of people discussing it about like, he's what locked, does it mean? He's, he's locked me up. I cannot leave. <laughs> I cannot, <laughs> cannot even somehow bring myself to grieve. <laughs> but what, but what I feel is something more. <laughs> I've fallen in love with the lock on the door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's just got a problem. Right. She's just got a problem. So that, so that now we get this new little mermaid and people, the, the new little mermaid is black and a lot of people online, I feel like most of them in bad faith are sort of like, Oh, look what you're doing to our childhood. No, it's terrible. It's, it's the awful racist nonsense, right? Like, Oh, the tradition, the proud tradition of mermaids. What? Like the, 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 of having bright red hair. Yeah. The red hair, the red hair community has finally has, you know, lost their icon. Like, please, you know, although there was a kind of an interesting thread that I, I feel like there might even be something to it that, there are a lot of redheaded characters that that get sort of recast as black. Annie is the obvious one that springs to mind, hmm. and it's almost I don't 
I don't know. I mean, maybe on some psychological level, it's like if you've got this one redheaded character, it's a little bit of a signifier to the audience that like this character is different somehow, right? This character stands out, right? You know, like, you know, I think that's, that's a lot of the times, like why you give this character bright red hair so that like, you know, and, and it, it almost, there's a thematic residence if you make her different in other ways. Yeah, sure. Like a, like redheaded stepchild, for example, is an idiom, right? Like that, like it's a, sure. It's a signifier of, of not belonging somehow or of like bad fit, I suppose. So, so here's the, and here's the thing that I think makes the little mermaid particularly interesting is that the little mermaid, the original cartoon, I think is pretty clearly about like an interracial relationship sure it's about somebody who falls in love outside of their culture right and you can imagine it being a metaphor for you know you can imagine the mermaids as like you know orthodox jews or something and she falls in love with like a palestinian and that would have the same resonance well that that would be like a prestige show. that would win a lot of emmys and would be on like apple tv plus <laughs> or something like that you know that's what the uh, that's what that would be. But, but yeah, sure. Okay. But it, 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 it does feel that like the subtext of the little mermaid or the, the truth behind the fantasy is the idea that like, she comes from the society and they're like these, you know, we only, you know, hang out with the other mermaids and the fish. Like we don't, we don't trust the people on land there. You know, she's been told stories about how they are, but she's sort of like, I want to know. I'm fascinated by their culture. Right. And her dad is horrified by that. He's, you know, smashes everything. And you could, you could imagine it as, as being like, you know, she's collecting whatever artifacts from like another culture, uh, that, you know, it's, it's that, it's that, uh, UK movie that came out like last year where there's, there's the, the, was the Muslim kid who's obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. Mm, yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like somebody who finds this resonance with another culture that she doesn't find in her own and she has to keep it a secret. And then eventually at the end that like she ends up bringing the two cultures together. So it kind of it's interesting. The question that I have that I, I don't know if it's been conclusively answered yet is that is she the only black mermaid or are all the mermaids minorities? Because I, the one thing I know is that Triton is, I believe, Javier Bardem. Uh-huh. So he is the, what we might be dealing with here is like a Hamilton style casting choice where it's sort of like all the mermaids are minorities of some kind whereas that the people on land are all like lily you know the, the same way that like the the revolution the american revolutionaries in hamilton you know at least in the original cast are all sort of like black and brown and the british are all very british the one the one british guy the well, king I, I, but i think even when there's there's other soldiers that come out or like you know the the pamphleteer and everything that they the the, the um the loyalists I believe are all are all pretty white. Okay, but certainly, and then the 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 king is just the uh, the guy from Frozen, <laughs> uh, whose name you probably know. Right? The the guy from Fro- the king, Jonathan Groff. Yeah, Jonathan Groff is what I was going for. The uh, guy yeah, from, Frozen. from Glee. Yes, no. from Glee. From uh, what? When did he like? Oh, he sort of burst onto the scene for me with Spring Awakening, with the Duncan Cheek Spring Awakening. Uh, on Broadway also brought us Leah Michelle and John Gallagher Jr. I think was a breakout for for all of them. Um, yeah. Anyway, speaking speaking of re- speaking of remakes, Spring but, Spring Awakening. Why are right. They, okay. Are they, so that, are they that, doing that one? Oh, that there's I mean, a, Spring that there's Awakening a thing. is itself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I. Um, uh, okay. Because you could you could imagine how the Little Mermaid the remake plays a little almost like Black Panther, where you've got this insular society. That that has shut them out, shut themselves off from from the the sort of like the the world of, of colonizers as they as the sort of like the offhanded line in, in Black Panther goes uh-huh. right because it's like we don't trust the people on land and it's sort of like reinforced with this sort of like the a ra- there's a racial element that's layered on top of the the fishtails right uh-huh. and so it's like that would I feel like that would make sense and that would be interesting but then so to i'm gonna make a prediction that i don't even think is a bold prediction about the little mermaid so in the cartoon Uh ariel is single-mindedly obsessed with 
the prince, Prince Eric. Sure. And that is the whole reason that she does what she does. Yeah, but, she wants but the in, right, in the live action movie, she's going to want to like uh, yeah, finish her degree in sociology or something like yeah, that. So so I have two possible theories about how it goes. Either that they, they set her up as a straight up like anthropologist, right? That like she is fascinated with human society. She feels she at some point in the first act, there will be the lines like, like, oh, we could learn so much from them and they could learn so much from us. It's like, why do we have to shut ourselves off for like this, this fascinating world? Right. Right. And so she, she comes to the land, not because she wants to get with this cute boy, but because she wants to, she wants to learn how the people live, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that would be satisfying. Another way to make it satisfying is to, to, right. Exactly. I want to study where the people are. I want to study, want to study them dancing, studying around, study them walking around on the, what do you call a feet? (laughs) You know? It is. It's funny. It's like almost the cartoon sets it up for itself and then kind of lean, like sets it up like she is legitimately fascinated by human society. And then she becomes so single mindedly obsessed with this guy that it almost is like she doesn't she, she loses some of her curiosity about like how the people I mean, it's, I guess, you know, she still enjoys like going on carriage rides and, and combing her hair with forks and everything. But I, I do expect in the live action thing, either her focus is more going to be like learning the things or to, to give it some sense of urgency. Right. Cause there, there needs to be a reason why like she has to make a desperate, um, a desperate deal with the sea witch. Um, you know, maybe um, sort of like Jasmine, that that this is a civic-minded Ariel, that this is an Ariel who is, you know, a leader for her people. And as a leader for her people, sort of fears this sort of e- either the fact that like, oh, we shouldn't have to like hide from the humans or I'm scared that there's going to be war with the humans. And so she sort of takes it upon herself to normalize diplomatic relations with Got the it. humans. And so that she comes to the surface because she is going to prove to the world that like humans are safe or she's going to like announce mermaid society to the humans. And then there's, there's a boy as well, but I I can also pretty much guarantee you that it will not end with the 16 year old getting married. Um, You know, that like there, there might be a sort of a hint of a happy ending, but it's, it's more going to be like the reason that she's moving to the surface is not to like be a child bride of the prince. It's because like she wants to, you know, learn what it's like. Um, and that there's also a cute boy and he's, he's just a bonus, right? Sure. I mean, I, I think like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, the thing that I, I find, uh, interesting about, about these remakes is how they seem sort of impoverished to me relative to their, to the, you know, the animated films that they're adapting, um, and I think that the sort of t- the the sort of strictures of like giving good social messages. I don't know. Like the, the, it's often pointed out like Grimm's fairy tales are terrifying. Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales are terrifying. They're not like, they're not made to make good citizens. I, I was in a class in college about children's literature. I, I think I ended up dropping it, but the, the, the thesis of this professor was that like the weird thing about American children's literature is that we seem to want to use it to like for the, the, the moral education of good citizens, you know, or the, the sentimental education, I should say, of good, good citizens, of good, like. Whereas you don't yeah. think that the, the brothers Grimm or like traditional fairy tales were meant to be somehow instructive? Like or- what is instructive about the original Little Mermaid where she like, you know, she's in agony every time she walks. Like the, the thing that she trades in addition to her voice is that like when she walks on land, it will be like she is walking on knives and every step that she takes will be, will be agonizing. She'll be in agonizing pain the the entire the entire time, and how like how capriciously the uh, the man throws her aside, you know, and she ends up I think as sea, spoiler alert for Hans Christian Andersen, uh, she ends up as as sea foam, uh, you know, float, float shooting the breeze literally shooting the breeze and that uh you know where's the i don't know where's the lesson in that i'm not sure that there's i'm not sure that there's much to it but she uh yeah or i mean that there's much that's supposed to be edifying rather than terrifying and the yeah, idea or, that these- i mean if anything it's it's one of these uh situations where the moral of the original is the exact opposite of the disney moral right the moral of the original is like 
these societies could never like this is a, a fundamentally doomed relationship like she should have stated her lane right yeah also boys Where, are trifling you know what i mean like the, right. the the next pretty face is gonna like turn their head and they're you know and you end up as seafoam you know and so that's like uh that which I suppose is a kind of edification. I suppose it's it's maybe a little retrograde, but like it does make a statement about human nature that I guess someone might have considered important to make at a yeah, at a certain point in history. But um, you know, but the the idea that we are responsible in making our Disney live action remake for doing something that is you know that is edifying is is a, like a stricture that that leaves them to be kind of impoverished because you can't like you can't get the elephant drunk and have a a fantastic and that's a fantastic sequence the elephants get drunk it's these pink elephants dancing playing trumpets on their Maybe. on their little tr- on their little trunks you know what well, is this I'm, something I'm when i'm a, about this. when i'm a parent am i going to feel differently about it no i guess i guess i just feel like like your contention is that the older disney films weren't trying to be edifying which I'm, I'm, I just sort of feel that like they were, I mean, a a good example of a film that feels like really almost annoyingly edifying, you know, uh, is Pinocchio. Right. Mm. And it's all a film about how he needs to like learn to behave. Right. He needs, he needs to learn to be good instead of, you know, going off to the, was it pleasure Island to smoke a drink? Um, he needs to like be a good dutiful son and when he does he'll be rewarded right and that like it's 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 just a moral tale about how he like doesn't listen he disobeys and he doesn't listen to his conscience and he gets punished for it and then he repents um and then he does the right thing right and so it feels like certainly that one and probably like a lot of these other disney ones like they're trying to teach you something it's just sort of like you know you could make the the film from like what like 19 50 that you feel like is the most progressive, you know, socially conscious thing ever. And there are going to be elements of it that become cringe in 70 years. And so they're going to have to remake it to, to tweak it, to tweak the, um, you know, the, the, the add, add some girl bossiness or, or subtract some bling sure. racism. And I think that the, the other, the other thing that I think like the other stricture I feel right is the kind of the bind that the live action filmmakers are in to either to, to preserve enough of what made the original successful that, so that it's, it's recognizably the same IP. Right. Yeah. As opposed to some other Cinderella, uh, you know, as opposed to, to Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella or something like that. Um, but, uh, it's still recognizably the same IP, but it's like, you know, it's updated for a modern sensibility. That's a tough needle to thread because a lot of the things that make it recognizable are, you know, are the very things that, that make it, you know, unsuitable or kind of like unwelcome in the market, in the, in the contemporary market. And I think that the, like the trope of this is, I don't know how I, I saw a, a great tweet about uh, that put side by side, uh, the, um, the uh uh animated little mermaid with the equivalent shot from taken from the trailer and oh, yeah, which looks like it was really shot underwater well i guess in a bad way yeah i mean i i guess like there there are some of the things the 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 poster of all the youtube videos um of the the young woman who i think is named Halle bailey um yeah. is uh singing looks like she's not underwater at all but the the uh like it, the, um, it's less colorful. It's less right. contrasty. It's less visually interesting. It's less right. And, and the funny thing, like the ironic thing, I suppose, is it's no less animated because it's all CGI. Cause they did, you know, except for the shots of the, the human actors themselves, right? Like they didn't shoot it underwater, you know, this yeah. like this camera, you know, like so, uh, jetting through the coral reef or the, the underwater plants, the kelp forests or whatever it is, right? Like they didn't actually do that practically. It's all, uh, it's all CGI. It's no less animated. But it's it's almost like we were talking last week about AI uh, generated art, right? And the um, the whole thing, you know, the whole thing was like you have to put in photorealistic because the the vast majority of 
human history, of art history, is non-photorealistic. But now we want things that are photorealistic. And it's like, I'm not sure yeah. we gain, I'm not sure we gain that much just because like the producers typed uh, photorealistic into the, you know, into the text prompt, you know, that they, that they feed into the production company in order to, to uh, make all, make all the CGI. I have one more gripe, but I feel like I should give you an opening here to, no, to no, come I, in and I'm tell gonna- me why I'm wrong. Oh, you're gonna uh, love that you did because I'm gonna full uh, fully agree with you. Oh, good. That I I think that part of the assumptions or or Disney's sort of mission behind the live action adaptations is that like realism is better, right? Than anything that's abstract or anything that's uh, artistic, right? Yeah, which and, is incorrect. And- and and I, I there's no better example of that than a side by side comparison of the old Lion King with the new Lion King, where it is uh, truly amazing the quality of the effects in the new Lion King that like you know because I think every shot besides one. I think they, they purposely inserted like a real shot almost as like a joke, but I think every single shot is completely a fabrication, right? Yep. Like the, the locations are fake. The, uh, animals are completely fake. Everything is fake, but it, it does look, I mean, it looks like you should have David, David Attenborough narrate the whole thing. But the trade off there is that, I don't know if you know this, but, um, animals don't have human faces Wait, and what? are therefore unable to express convincingly human emotions. Huh? Where is that? The devil, you know, the, the devil, you film. say. Yeah, in the animated film, like when Simba is sad, Simba looks heartbreakingly sad, and in the remake, Simba looks like a—I don't know—looks if looks like a cat. Yes, because a lion can't actually look right. sad and in a in, way that reads as sad in a human way. In the original, uh, when Simba is exuberant, he looks joyful. He looks exuberant, and when uh, in the the live action remake, he looks like a cat. And in the yes. original, you know, when when Simba is playful or shy, he looks playful or shy. And in the live action version, he looks like a cat. Yeah, absolutely. And to the extent that they do like talk. You know, there's there's kind of an Optimus Prime lips thing going on where it's not, you know, where it's just difficult to... Because once again, cats are not supposed to be able to uh, pronounce, like, I don't know, diphthongs. Right, the speak, the, the like, the, the articulation, the articulation muscles don't exist in... Uh, yeah, in in quite the same way. I mean, that's a that is a good one because it really is it's just the the technique, you know. The story is not changed and it's it's sort of shot for shot remakey. Um kind of in the way of do you remember Gus Van Zant's Psycho where he, it was just that was like such a weird movie, right? That it was shot it was for shot remake except it had Vince Vaughn in it for reasons passing understanding. As Anthony Perkins, right? And it was, I mean, I don't think that the Lion King movie was a shot for shot remake, if only because they would never let themselves get, like, if you remember, um, I just can't wait to be king. Yeah. That number becomes very, like, the backgrounds become these sort of blocks of solid color. Oh, sure. You know, and it, and it leaves the, the, the realm of the savannah and, and, you know, becomes this sort of like joyous, uh, sort of African art homage. Um, and the remake would never do that. The remake would never let itself have any fun. It needs to, it needs to look like it's a nature documentary where just the animals happen to sing. I mean, that's so um, fun. I mean, that's, there it is right there. Like, just think of the expressive potential that comes with, you know, it is a possibility. It is a choice you can make to just go to a solid color background, you know? And that, that's like, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's really, uh, it, it's really, I don't know. I think something, I th- something is lost. I think the realism is, is slightly dreary. But beyond that, Matt, beyond that, right? Um, the, uh, the, uh, Hallie, Hallie B, um, our, our mermaid. And like, I, I think that like you and I are probably on the same page that actually, you know, having heroes and heroines in films, uh, of all different backgrounds, uh, is probably all to the good. Um, that, you know, m- more representation is probably better just in the abstract, just as, as a, uh, a proposition, right? Like, yeah. And I, you know, and so honestly, like, there's some the people and the people being like, well, Ariel can't be black. It's like, you know, what? go to hell. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. She can. It's, it's imaginary. It's a, you know, it's imaginary. And you know what? In 15 years, they're probably going to be doing another remake in VR or whatever. And, right. uh, you know, and who knows who's going to be Ariel then, 
right? Ariel like will the, be like a like they'll just gender flip the whole thing, it's, right? And it's Ariel something, will be yeah. like a boy. On Slack and, today, you were pointing out, you were talking with Pete, and you pointed out uh, uh, Pete is Pete, though though he cannot join for the podcast. Pete is uh, still participating in our uh, in our text chat, um, and you pointed out that like Pete is always on about like, hey, it would be nice to have more remakes of movies, right? In the same way that we like each generation gets its own Hamlet, you know, it actually gets several, right? Like uh, each generation, you know, maybe should get its own Psycho. I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting. It's an interesting proposition. Yeah, I think, I, think, films- I think the big the big caveat is like, but you have to have something new to bring to the table, and so that's why. Just to be clear, like you know, I'm I'm a little down on the remake of Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. or the remake of like. Um, because it's it's what Harold Bloom called a weak misreading, right? Well, it's, because like all they're trying to do is recreate it in live action. Where something like if they actually do a Little Mermaid, but change the character of the Little Mermaid so she's not just like a lovesick girl, right? I think that's I think that's interesting. Like I don't I don't have any problem with a woke Little Mermaid that you know wants to be like an anthropologist, wants to write a book on human civilization, right? Feel, wants to be like a best selling author. I feel like I in, think that in, would be interesting. The the W word has been so has been so co-opted yeah. uh you know that i i feel like the second you use it you've kind of lost the argument but like a different little mermaid yes and so so my hope my hope for this is that there's enough that's different that it justifies that like this is a version you know that this is like right in the same way that like to a certain extent this the disney little mermaid is a strong misreading of the hans christian anderson little mermaid right mm-hmm. that that um uh now it's it's kind of retrograde in the way that it's uh that it's a misreading it like it sands off all the rough edges it put it puts a happy ending on it it's you know it's very patriarchal it's very kind of heteronormative like there right. there are you know it it reflects the sensibilities of its day and not always in a good way and yet like you, it, there's a reason for it to exist that is like an artistic reason that's not that's not just a cash a, a, a cash grab. So this you know this is my hope, and we don't know. We're all reacting to a minute of footage we've seen on the uh, we've seen on YouTube, and like maybe all my problems with the um, maybe all my problems with the the cinematography have to do with like it being you know stomped all the poop uh, by the compression algorithm, you know, and it's going to be it's actually when when you see it in you know, beautiful, uh, 4k in the, in the movie theaters, it's going to be, uh, just an astonishingly beautiful visual experience. But I, I do think the the modern, the quote unquote modern, the more poppy reinterpretation of part of your world, uh, is not successful. Certainly not successful for me. Um, and it's, you know, she does, she does like the, uh, the American idol, uh, embellishments. Yeah. There's like a blues riff. There's like an R and B riff at the end. That's melismatic and, and very contemporary right. poppy. It's like something Ariana Grande would sing, you know, and, uh, that like it, it shows off vocal prowess. It's, you know, it's like, and, and she's very, she's in great voice singing the, uh, singing the thing. But then there is the, uh, um, there is this kind of like melismatic flourish uh, at the end. I, I I was talking with Stokes about this today on Slack, and I think it's stylistically wrong, right? These these um, uh, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman songs are legit musical theater songs, and so putting a contemporary pop. You know, which is kind of like R and B and R and B influenced uh, vocal styling on them. I think is just stylistically inappropriate, unless the whole thing is going to be, unless the whole thing is going to be like rethought. the The musical language of this thing is going to be rethought in some kind of fundamental way. In which case, it remains to be seen. Uh, Stokes had, I think, a more trenchant criticism, which was that like the doing the riff. The riff is a show off move. Right. And so the riffs uh, associations are positive. The, the kind of the emotional valence of the riff is positive. It's, it's either sexy or it's playful or it's triumphant or it's like celebratory or something. And that's not the mood of the song at that moment. Right. That song is wistful. It's dejected. It's, you know, I wish I could be part of your world. But I can't. Yeah, it's a sad moment, and, and it's, it's, not, it's the, the I joyous. want song. It, it's the I want song, but it's not like 
I don't know. It's not like cockeyed optimist from South Pacific or something like that. You know, it's not like, uh, it's not like an everything's okay type of song. It's, there's, there's a wistfulness to it. And, and that it's just the wrong emotional note to strike at that particular moment. And that was, that was, uh, that was Stokes's, I, you know, I think, as I say, kind of more, more trenchant criticism because, you know, mine, I don't know if there, it depends what they do stylistically with, with the, the music. And there are all kinds of moves that you could make that make a more contemporary style. Um, I, I don't know. I hope they don't. I have yeah. such, gra- I have such affection for those I do, I, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken Disney songs. I mean, I, I will say that like, you know, I, I, I don't want to just like hate on every aspect of the Disney live action remakes because, you know, just to be clear, I think it's, it's perfectly okay to take an old movie that has problematic elements and to just be like, well, what if we, what if we did it today? What if we took the parts that work and we changed the parts that don't work and we do something that we can show to our kids without feeling like a little bit uncomfortable about like, what is the message behind this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I feel like almost without fail, they've really, annoyed me with the musical choices mm-hmm. you know the 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 new lion king soundtrack they the w- what they did to uh akuna matata with <laughs> seth rogan and billy eichner replacing the great nathan lane and uh was it ernie ernie sabala uh-huh. um so offensive to me on honestly look angela lansbury is still with us just the idea that like ellen thompson thompson that time can step into her shoes and then of course i feel bad for poor will smith who was set up to fail in a dramatic way by having him try to do robin williams and they didn't even change all the robin williams isms that are written into the lyrics specifically for him yeah oh exactly that's perfect that's a perfect example because you know will well until recently will smith was delightful right, right. like we like we liked him we wanted to like him as the genie but it said all he was trying to do was like a pale imitation and like, of he's so charismatic they built like one of the most successful sitcoms ever around him you know he had so like what would what if you scrapped robin williams genie entirely and did the will smith genie rather than having rather than being in this bind where i like i wanted to be robin williams enough that it's recognizably the same ip but hey maybe we'll put a little will smith sauce on it like that's that's the worst of all worlds you know because it's it's uh i don't know it's kind of insulting <laughs> i think it's a little offensive um ra- rather than rather than actually letting a, a great performer be you know uh rather than letting a, a a great performer be a great performer matt we're we're uh believe it or not we didn't think we'd get an hour out of our conversation <laughs> but we we have exceeded that uh just as pete and jordan exceeded the length of thor ragnarok when uh when they had a, a conversation about it but i you know what wait did we exceed the length of the little mermaid because i think the original <laughs> little mermaid is like 79 minutes long <laughs> i gotta go make dinner all right, but, all right. but um i i you know what i i want to give uh i want to give an opportunity yes because as you say we come not to not to just rag on uh disney live action movies um so g- give me one that you like give me one that you think is good or at least is the best of the bunch that uh and 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 i have one as i have one as well you know what the the, the one that kind of started this trend i thought maleficent hmm. was really interesting which is the idea i mean they straight up walked in there and they're just like it's it's uh it's sleepy beauty but with but wicked sure right which is just like what if she's not the bad what if the bad guy's not the bad guy what if the bad guy is the hero and so it's like there's an extreme example of something where it's like it's a almost a completely new story they they just so like that is almost it's not a remake right it's it's a completely different take on it but like i give them a lot of credit for trying something completely new and like trying to build on the mythology instead of just like you know recreating the parts that we like beat for beat sure um mine is uh rogers and hammerstein cinderella which was a disney Uh. production uh, with, uh, Brandy and Whitney Houston, um, as, as, uh, Cinderella and the, um, and stepmother? the, the stepmother, the fairy godmother. Well, the fairy stepmother godmother. was Bernadette actual Peters. Wow. That is great. King and the queen were Whoopi Goldberg and Victor Garber. And the, like the kind of the page, the kind of comic relief figure, Jason Alexander. Um, 
amazing, like uh, just like fantastic, completely wonderful in its own right. Now, not not a remake of the Disney Cinderella in that it used the the Rodgers and Hammerstein score, but uh, still, you know, I think they shot it for like ABC, like Wonderful World of Disney or something, something like that. Uh, that's my vote, and I'll put some uh, I'll put some YouTube videos in the uh, I'll put some YouTube videos in the show. Yeah, notes do so it. People it sounds can, delightful. Can. Uh, uh, enjoy them. All right. Well, uh, thanks very much for listening. Matt, thanks for uh, podcasting with me about uh, about how Black Ariel ruined your childhood. No, just, <laughs> just to be clear, that was a joke. <laughs> and we think that that uh, online discourse is reprehensible, just, just so you know, because this podcast is above all supposed to be edifying uh, for the people who listen to it. Hey, join us uh, at overthinking.com slash join. Become a member and get the uh, Thor Love and Thunder cast. Uh, Pete, and Jordan ca- cast. Pete and Jordan cast. Absolutely. Uh, can't wait. I'm, I'm queuing that up uh, for my weekend listening myself. And um, I get a little sneak preview, you know, I, I guess uh, being, you know, working it, overthinking it has its privileges. And, uh, and yeah, hey, check out the store, overthinking.com slash store. Why not? Uh, and until next week, we'll be at overthinking.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.